Hi, my name is Mike Herbster. I'm privileged to be the director of Southland Christian Camp Ministries. For over 25 years, Southland has centered itself around the ministry of preaching. We believe that God uses the foolishness of preaching to convict hearts and transform lives. Our prayer is that today's sermon would push you to become more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As you listen, would you carefully evaluate your life in light of God's Word and take the appropriate action to grow in your walk with Him? We hope that you will enjoy today's message. I've been looking forward to this week, and I hope that you have too. When I was a teenager, summer camp was, uh, for the most part of my teenage years, was a very big highlight for me. You know, get to hang out with my friends and, uh, you know, just have a good time. I was uh, kind of a mischievous kid, so camp was a great platform for some of that. And I just really, really enjoyed camp. But I do remember the first, or, uh, the first year in between my 8th grade and ninth grade year, I remember I was forced to go to camp, and so I was thinking about this this afternoon. I imagine that there are some of you that were forced to be here this week, and I hope that that is not a detriment to this week for you, because I remember when I was forced to go, I remember uh, if you would have met me when I was a teenager, I'm, not, I'm still not a large person, uh, but I was a really small teenager, I mean really small teenager, and uh, I remember my dad said, you're going to camp. And I said, I, I don't want to go to camp. I don't know any of those kids. I don't like any of those kids. I don't want to go with any of those kids. And my dad said, well, get on the bus or I'll put you on the bus. And I looked at me and I looked at my dad and I believe he could do it. And so uh, I didn't want to embarrass myself in front of all my lady friends, you know. So I just got on the bus myself. And uh, I'll tell you what, that very first night I heard preaching and I had never heard preaching like that. And uh, man, I was sitting there, I had a bad attitude, had my arms crossed, and I was listening to the preaching, and, and I don't know, something just began to crack and round my hard heart. And over the course of that week, uh, I was already saved, I knew I was saved, but I got some things right in my life. And uh, man, I remember the testimony, the youth group that I was with uh, became my youth group, and we had a testimony time, and they would pass a little New Testament around, and when you had the New Testament in your hand, you'd give a testimony, and when I had that Bible in my hand, I, I wanted to say something, but I didn't know what to say, and man, I just started crying and blubbering like a little girl, and I, I just passed it to the next guy, and then afterwards, I thought, I'm going to go up to the youth director and tell him how much I appreciate the week, and I went up to him, and I said, his name was Wally, I said, Brother Wally, and he said, what, and I said, I just started blubbering like a baby, you know, but I'm going to tell you, something happened in my life that week. And I'll, I'm, I'm telling you the truth tonight. I've never really gotten over what God did that week. I really never have. It set me on a course that forever changed my life. And you listen to me tonight. Your parents and your pastors, some of them are hoping that this is the week for you. I, I imagine that there's a mom at home tonight, praying tonight for some daughter some son saying, Lord, please make this the week that their life is forever changed. And I don't know what it is for you this week. I, I don't know what it is. For some of you, I am certain in a room with this many teenagers, I'm certain that some of you this week need to get saved. I would imagine some of you this week, you're already saved, but you're not right with the Lord. 
You're not right with God. You're not right with your parents. You're not right in the other relationships in your life. And you need to make some decisions that are going to help you get back on track. For some of you, you're doing very well, but you maybe you need to surrender in your life. I, I don't know what it is. And there's no way in, in the nine messages or so that you're going to hear, hear this week that we can target every issue that's represented in this room. But I believe that there's a Holy Spirit that can work in your life and will work in your life if you let him. And we're trusting that the Lord will do that. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'll do a couple of things for you, and I need you to do some things for me. One thing I'm going to ask you to do is do your best to listen. Because what I'm going to do is do my best to make it interesting and applicable. I'm going to do my best, all right? So even if it doesn't meet up to your standard, I'm doing the best that I can. So you do your best to try and stay awake. And I know this camp staff, they got a program that's lights out. I mean, they're going to run you hard and put you in the, in the summer heat and play some great games and do some different things with you. And so sometimes it's just natural. You're going to come in here and you're going to be tired. But you just do your best to stay with me, okay? And I'm going to do my best to give you the best that I have. And I'm also going to do this. I know some preachers, and I don't fault this. I mean, everybody's got their own, their own way of doing things. But some preachers kind of wait till Wednesday to try and get you guys softened up and move. We're not waiting till Wednesday. We're starting tonight, okay? So some of you, if you need to get saved, get saved tonight. Because I believe if you'll get saved tonight, it could change and transform the rest of the week for you. Okay, so let's just be ready tonight. To, to do whatever the Lord would work on our heart, okay? And so what that means is sometimes I'm going to ask you to come, let's pray up at this altar about something God's doing in your life. Sometimes that's going to mean maybe you need to talk specifically uh, to uh, a counselor about that. Let's be willing to do that. And let's just, let's not wait till Wednesday to do that. Let's start off on Monday. Now, I've preached enough camps to know sometimes it doesn't happen till Wednesday or Thursday. I mean, sometimes you come in and it's Monday and everybody's singing halfway. And then by, by Thursday, start getting right. Man, they're clapping and they're singing. And that's great. But wouldn't it be awesome if we just did that tonight, you know? And I think you've got that spirit about you. Would you turn to Ecclesiastes with me? Ecclesiastes. Uh, this is an interesting book in the Bible, and I, I want to look at some things from Ecclesiastes uh, tonight and, and probably throughout the rest of the week. And so Ecclesiastes chapter 1. It's an interesting book in the Bible. It, it, let, me, let me just tell you this. If you're depressed, don't ever read this book. Okay? Depression's real and God's people struggle with it sometimes. This book is not going to help you if you're having a bad day. If you're having a bad day, read the Psalms. That might help you, you know? Uh, but Ecclesiastes, it, it, it's kind of a different book. And uh, we'll talk more about what it is. But it's a man who was away from God and he's kind of writing his thoughts in his own wisdom. And so sometimes you're going to find when man writes in his own wisdom, sometimes man gets it right. Sometimes when man writes in his own wisdom, he gets it really wrong. Uh, like you're going to find a verse in Ecclesiastes that said this, I sought for one good woman among a thousand and couldn't find one. Now some of your guys are thinking, that's true. No, 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 it's not true. It's not true. Uh, you just if, if you looked at a thousand women and couldn't find one good one, you're looking in the wrong place, you know? Uh, but uh, Solomon did have, we'll talk about it, he had a thousand wives, and that's pretty ridiculous. And so, uh, it, it, could you imagine being wife number 782? I just, anyway, I don't want to get sidetracked. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, would you stand with me, please? We're going to read, we're going to read the first 11 verses, okay? Let's read those, okay? In verse 1, it says, The words of the preacher, that's Solomon. He refers to himself as the preacher. It's kind of written in poetic form, so he's writing it like it's a sermon. He says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, 
All is vanity. I mean, he said it a bunch of times, right? It's just pointless. That's kind of what vanity means, pointless. It's pointless of all pointlessness. Pointless of all pointlessness. All is pointless. You know, I mean, he's, just, he's just having a bummer of a day. Bummer of a life, really. He says, What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever, nothing ever changes. The sun also ariseth, and the sun goeth down, and hasteth to his place where he arose. The wind goeth toward the south, and turneth about to the north. It whirleth about continually, and all you guys from Kansas know that uh, very well, right? He, he says, and the wind returneth again according to, its, to his circuits. And all the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. All things are full of labor, man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, see, this is new? It hath been already of old time, which was before us. There is no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after. And everybody in here tonight is very uplifted and encouraged by what we just read, right? You say, well, what's that all about? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'd like to explain it to you. Let's pray one last time, and I'm going to get into it. Heavenly Father, I do pray you help me tonight. I really do need you. I, I do. And I want you to work in our midst uh, from the very get-go, I pray that you would really help us to have a wonderful week together. Thank you for this awesome auditorium filled with young people whose lives represent so much potential. And I pray tonight if somebody needs to get saved, they get saved tonight. And I, I pray tonight that some of us would just bow the knee and bend our heart toward you. And I pray that you'd begin to work in our life. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, I, I, don't, I don't consider myself a, a genius, but I, I have read a couple of books on philosophy and come across the philosophy of subjective idealism, and, and uh, you say, well, what's that? Well, it, it's kind of the idea, and it's, it's affected our culture, that experience is what makes something valid. Until you experience it, uh, it it's not real, and, and our culture kind of believes some of that. It's kind of... Uh, uh, the way, we, we, maybe you've heard it put this way. You ever heard somebody say this? If a tree fell in the forest and no one was there to hear it, would it make a sound? How many of you ever heard that, that question asked before? Is that a dumb question or what? I don't care if you're there or not. It makes a noise. But there's a philosophy that says, well, until you can experience it, it doesn't become real. You say, why are you bringing that up? The point is, philosophy can be pretty ridiculous and absurd. Um, you, you know, I, I've met some people that majored, and may, I hope none of these college kids are majoring in philosophy. I, I've always wondered, what do you do with a major in philosophy? One guy told me, he said, well, I want to be a lawyer. That explains a lot about our judicial system. I've often thought if you want to be a barista at Starbucks the rest of your life, major in philosophy. Uh, but anyway, I, I digress. Really what philosophy is, it's the study of knowledge. So we could say it this way. It's just thinking about thinking. Now that's really dangerous. Now don't, don't get me wrong. I'm all for thinking. Let me tell you, there's no virtue in being stupid. 
God gave you some gray matter in between your head. You ought to use it every once in a while, okay? And I think America has kind of dumbed itself down and we've like de-emphasized thinking. So thinking, thinking is great. I mean, think. But sometimes if you think about thinking, you can, you can really get some weird thoughts, especially if you're a seventh grade boy. Okay? Uh, now, let's think about some of these thoughts tonight. I, I mean, like, like if you just start thinking about stuff, here's some things I wrote down. I mean, why is the alphabet in the order it's in? Like, like who decided A, B, C, D? A and why did they put L, M, N, O, P to confuse all the little kids in the world? L, M, N, O, P. You all right? You all right? Why is it in that order? I don't know. You think too many thoughts, you know? And here's what I thought. Why is the word abbreviated so long? All, these, all the college students in here, maybe you want to ask this question. Why do banks charge you a non-sufficient funds fee when they already know you don't have any money? Right? You know, you can think about a lot of different things, but one of philosophy's greatest questions is this. What is the meaning of life? And that's kind of the question that the, the preacher, this man Solomon, is, is trying to, to answer. You know, Solomon may not be mentioned with all the great philosophers of the world, Aristotle and Plato and Kant and, and these men, but really, he's one of the greatest philosophers to ever live. Now think about who Solomon was. Solomon's father was David. Now, could you imagine that when you're a little kid? I mean, I think most little kids like hearing a bedtime story from their parents. Maybe it's just a ploy so that they don't have to go to bed. And isn't that funny how when you're little, you don't want to go to bed, and as you get older, you're kind of like, you know, bed's not so bad. And in fact, some of you are thinking about bed right now while I'm preaching. Hey, right, you know? And, and so think about it. He's a little boy, and he's saying, hey, Dad, could you tell me a bedtime story? And his dad says, well, son, what story do you want me to tell you? Well, Tell me about how you killed Goliath. Because my kids have said, Dad, could you tell me the story about how David killed Goliath? He was David. I mean, how cool is that? Well, son, I was out in the valley and I had a slingshot. And I only needed one stone. And it went round and around and around and around. And around and around and around. Right? You've sung that song, right? And, and, and one little stone went up in the air. Oh, Daddy, I love this word. And the giant came tumbling down. My favorite part of the story is when David cuts his head off. Daddy, tell me about that part. Well, I climbed up on his chest. The dude was 600 pounds and 9 feet 9 tall. And I, I, one whack wasn't good enough, and so I had to saw on it. Oh, Daddy, tell me. I mean, this is the... And then I picked up his head, and the blood was running down, and I walked in and went into Solomon, uh, Saul's tent, and I dropped it down, and it rolled toward his feet, and he went... Ah! I mean, it's a great story. That was his dad. That was his dad. But then think about who his mom was. His mom was Bathsheba. From what we understand the Bible, she's a beautiful woman. But I think as he got older, he probably understood that my mom used to be married to this guy named Uriah, and my dad had him killed so he could marry my mom. I mean, talk about a dysfunctional family. He kind of understood that, didn't he? So he had a dad who was great in a lot of ways, but a dysfunctional family in a lot of other ways and then we kind of know about Solomon I like this he comes from a dysfunctional situation but let me say this to all of the students here I don't know what your home life's like some of you have amazing home lives some of you have dysfunctional home lives but Solomon didn't let that limit him we know the story when he was a young man he God came to him and said I'll give you anything you request 
He said, well, give me some wisdom because I don't, I don't know how to come in and I don't know how to go out. I feel very helpless. And God said, wow, you've asked for the right thing. And God blessed him with great wisdom. Solomon was an amazing person. In fact, we see that he wrote over 3,000 Proverbs. <laughs> 3,000 Proverbs. I mean, he, 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 like, he wrote that one, a continual dropping on a rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. That's a good one. You know what that means? They're annoying. Right? He wrote that. 3,000 Proverbs. Uh, the, the, we, we understand that he wrote over 1,000 songs. I don't understand how people hear music in their head and sit down on a piano and play it and write a song. I mean, the, the greatest, uh, in mo many people's opinion, the greatest rock and roll band ever was the Beatles. They only wrote about 250 songs. Solomon wrote over 1,000. Solomon, uh, he wrote three books of the Bible. I mentioned to you that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And that's a crazy statistic to me. I mean, a concubine was kind of like a lower social ranking wife. So that means with a thousand wives, he could have eaten a different meal with a different wife every, I mean, for the whole year. That's crazy. Somebody said it this way. It's kind of rather, rather blunt. But he said, if Bill Gates, Stephen Hawking, and Hugh Hefner became the Pope and the President, that'd be Solomon. I mean, this, I'm just saying this guy was an incredible individual. But what happened is Solomon became a prodigal. Do you remember that story of the prodigal son? He goes to his dad and he says, Dad, you know, I know you're not dead yet, but just go ahead and give me my inheritance because I want to do what I want to do. And the father gave it to him and the prodigal son went out and he lived on, uh, he, he just did a party scene life and he spent it all and he wasted it all and he just kind of ruined his life. That was Solomon in a lot of ways. But the difference was Solomon was a lot like many of you. He said, well, I haven't written any songs and I don't know any proverbs and, and, and I'm not as smart and I'm not as wealthy and I'm not as advanced as Solomon was. Yeah, but here's the, here's the thing that makes us so similar to Solomon in a lot of ways. Solomon basically said this, my dad was David, and my dad was the one that wrote so many of the Psalms, and my dad was the one that said, oh, I'd rather be a, 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 a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. And my dad carried me to the temple, and my dad said, I'd like to be like a dove in the corner so I could just stay here all the time and build a nest in the house of God. My dad loved God. He was a man after God's own heart, and so he raised me in Sunday school, and he took me to church, and he sent me to summer camp, and he always had me around church stuff and Bible stuff, and he said, you know, I got to a place in my life where I was kind of tired of that, and I, I wanted to see what else was out there. Listen, I know not all of you are Christian school kids or homeschool kids or even church kids for that matter, but I think that there's a measure of this world that's constantly calling you and saying, man, this church stuff and this fuddy-duddy music they're singing and this conservative, pure life that they're preaching, listen, that's not, the world is saying, that's not where it's at. Come over here and try it. Now listen to me, I'm going to tell you, I believe that you don't, you, you don't know if you don't like something unless you try it when it comes to vegetables. But not when it comes to marijuana. You understand the world is, is calling you. And Solomon said, let me go. Let me go try all of that. And that's what this book is about. He comes back to the end and he says, listen, I've tried it all. I've done it all. And it's pointless. It's pointless. It's, it's foolishness. You see, most Bible scholars believe he wrote the Song of Solomon when he was young in love. He 
Many believe he wrote the book of Proverbs when he was middle-aged and he was walking with God, and they believe that he wrote Ecclesiastes when he's old and he had fallen into idolatry. Ecclesiastes is really his autobiography of his life away from God, and it's basically man's philosophy, his thinking about thinking away from God. And I want you to know tonight that philosophy can be absurd, but it's significant because ideas always have consequences. What I mean by that is what you believe about something determines how you behave. You need to understand that tonight. Uh, you think about it. We live in a culture that's teaching our young people radically that, that, that they, that the philosophy of, of evolution. They're teaching us that we came from animals. Do you understand what that does to our thinking, that, how that changes the way we behave? Have you ever wondered why we have somebody that will go into a school and shoot up a bunch of innocent people? Well, listen, if it's survival of the fittest, what does that matter? If we're animals, it's just animalistic behavior. Have you ever wondered, listen to me tonight, you ever wondered why racism is a problem? Listen, if we've been taught we're just evolved animals and, and my tribe against your tribe and survival of the fittest, no wonder there's racism among us. But you understand, ideas have consequences. I believe that a creator created us. He created one race of people that he loves and that he cares for. And so because a creator created us all, then there's respect for all life because we know the source from which it comes. And we also know that this isn't a creator God. It's a savior that came to die for the sins of the whole world. Do you see how those ideas have consequences about the way I behave toward other people? And evolution has ideas that change. And Solomon has espoused these ideas from the world that totally transformed the way he lived his life. And he gets to the end of all that and he says it's pointless. It's not even worth it. So tonight, by way of just kind of introduction of the week, I want to give you two thoughts about life. Two thoughts about life, and you stay with me tonight. Number one, life without God is pointless. Life without God is pointless. Ecclesiastes is man's philosophy apart from God. He, he refers to it as under the sun, meaning it's a life viewed from a human perspective, not heaven's perspective. It's under the sun. It's a perspective under the sun which will reach the same conclusion as Solomon. If you live your life under the sun, you'll come to the same conclusion. The word vanity is used approximately 38 times. It just means emptiness, meaninglessness. It just means pointlessness. And I'm telling you tonight, when your perspective is life, uh, when, when this is your perspective, life becomes pointless and you become pessimistic. Let me try and resonate with some of you tonight. Any of you ever uh, been here and done this? Because I have. Any of you ever thought, well, I've tried to do good, but I always mess up. So what's the point? In my years of ministry, I've met so many young people that feel that way. Some of you come in here tonight. Listen, don't, don't, don't let, let's, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know how else to be. I'm very a transparent person. But listen, some, some of you boys in here, you're struggling pornography. And you think, man, I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried. What's the point in trying anymore? I wonder if somebody's in here struggling with drugs, struggling with boyfriend-girlfriend relationships. Hey, look, I'm just saying, I know a lot of people, a lot of young people that have set a high standard of expectation in their life, and, 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 and you, you just, you're like me sometimes. I look at the Bible, and I think, man, I could never be like Jesus Christ. And that, isn't that our goal, to be like Jesus? And I, I look at myself, and I'm thinking, man, I try, and I try, and I try, and I try, and I fail again. What's the point in trying? 
You know, you get that way when you're living life under the sun. Man, I know people who, who try to do good and always mess up, and so they say, what's the point? I, I know some people that, that they're kind of the opposite. They live a clean life, but things never work out for them. And so they say, what's the point? Now, I know some kid in my school, he does wrong all the time. He, 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 he lives the life of the world, and everything seems to go his way. He's popular, and, and he's successful on the ball field. And Man, I, I'm doing right, and what do I get? So what's the point? I know there are a lot of young people that feel, uh, you know, I go to church, but, but man, when I go home, my family has serious problems. And everybody at church thinks my dad's great. And everybody at church thinks my mom's great. Everybody at church thinks our family's great. But when we go home, we're not what everybody thinks. So, so what's the point? I know there are a lot of people that would say this, for every one person I know that does right, I know 50 that do wrong. So what's the point? You see in our text in verse 3, when our focus is here on earth, life becomes a rut. You see what he said there? What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? What's the point? You work hard, you work hard, and what do you got to show for it? It's kind of like in, in mythology, Sisyphus thought he was smarter than Zeus, and so Zeus sends him to roll a boulder up the hill. And if you, if you learn that, I like mythology. It's kind of interesting to me in school. So, uh, you know, he rolls that uh, rock up the hill, and about the time he thinks he's going to get it to the top, it rolls back down. And he's just condemned to do that over and over and over again. Solomon says, that's how I feel. I work, and I labor, and I try, and I do, and what's the point in all of it? He says in verse 4, nothing ever changes. Nothing ever changes. See what he said there? One generation passes away, another generation cometh, but the earth about it forever. It just keeps going on. Talk about how depressed our world is. I, I, I don't, I don't endure, I'm glad you're hearing some good godly music this week. Man, some of you guys, if you, if you leave camp, I'm so glad that I was challenged at camp to change my music. I really am. It forever impacted and changed my life. You know the reason some of you can't pay attention to preaching, some of you struggle in your spiritual life, is because you feed yourself garbage in the world's music and it's, it's creating a message in your life and an attitude in your life. It's very, very hard to digest spiritual food because of all the garbage you've put in. There's a rock band from back in the 70s, Pink Floyd. You'll still see some of their t-shirts. I think a lot of kids in your generation buy their t-shirts from Target and don't know what in the world they are. But Pink Floyd was a British rock band, and they, they produced an album called The Dark Side of the Moon, and it's one of the top 25 best-selling rock and roll albums in the United States of all time. And that song, Dark Side of the Moon, I want to read some lyrics to you. What's interesting to me is they sound an awful lot like what Solomon says. So you run and you run to catch the sun, but it is sinking, racing around to come up again. The sun is the same in a relative way, you're older, shorter of breath, and one day closer to death. And we wonder why suicide is the eighth leading cause among people in America today. Listen to the message of song we're listening to. Do you understand that back in the 70s, they were playing the same old tune that Solomon wrote way back when? Life without God is pointless. But listen to me, young people. Life above the sun a heavenly viewpoint of life is totally different. Jeremiah wrote in Lamentations 3.23, he basically said this, every morning when I get up, it's not the same old thing. His mercies are new, and they're fresh, and they're wonderful. 
Listen, I'm not trying to get too preachy on you. I know you're teenagers, but I'm going to tell you, when you live life above the sun, every day when you get up, His mercy is fresh and His faithfulness is new. And we've sung about it tonight, about His character and about who He is. And I'm going to tell you, it just it totally transforms and changes your life. When you are trying to live apart from God, life is pointless. But let me tell you, and I'm telling you with great enthusiasm tonight, I am so glad that between my 8th and ninth grade year, God got a hold of my heart and it said something to me. I saved you years ago, but I have a point for your life, and life took on a new meaning. I'm not saying I've never had any bad days. I've had plenty of them, and I've never said that I, I didn't get into the doldrums of what Solomon was dealing with here, but I can tell you when I have had a heavenly perspective in my life, my life has had great point to it, great purpose to it, and there isn't a single young person in this room tonight that isn't wanting to live a life with purpose. Let me give you a second thought. And I've brought ourselves to that place. Life without God is pointless, but life with God has a purpose. When you live within the will of God, it answers the question, is life really worth living? Solomon says in verse 3, what what profit hath a man in all his labor? But Paul, who had heavenly perspective, said in 2 Corinthians 15, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Jesus said in John 10.10, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. You see, Solomon in verses 4 through 7 describes life as a repetitive and boring thing. Habits are the same. Work is the same. So you might think that church is the same. Uh, grand, my, my grandma, she, my grand, I have one grandparent still living. My grandma, she's probably getting close to 90 years old. She, I, I'm, not, I'm not joking. She has the same decorations in, in her house that she had before I was born, and I'm 42 years old. Like some of you older folks, I mean, some of you younger folks won't get this. How many, how many uh, uh, older folks in here remember the old fork and spoon that they, people used to hang on the wall? How many know what the fork and spoon is? My grandma still has the fork and spoon on her. She still has a green rotary phone and a green refrigerator. Her decorations have not changed. And Psalm saying, nothing ever changes, but let's enter God. Let's bring God into the thing. Psalm says, All right, uh, you know, habits are always the same. No, no, no. God, God, when God came in, God changes my life. Listen, I'm not a perfect person at all. And, and, and if any preacher ever gives you the impression they're the hero of every story and they never have any struggles, they're not being honest. But I can tell you this much. In the years that I have been saved, God has changed me. And he is changing me. I know it's an old kind of cheesy song, but I still like it just the same. You ever heard that? If Some of you guys grow up in church. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make moon and star, sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. I'm so thankful that God has changed me and is changing me. Because with God, man, without God, everything's the same. It's just the same old, same old, same old, same old thing. But with God, things are different. They're new. And he's changing my life. And listen to me tonight. God wants to change your life. Tonight, he wants to do something new and fresh and different in your life. He wants to change. You say, I'm only 15 years old. There's not a whole lot to change. Oh, yes, there is. He wants to conform you in his image. He wants to change you. He wants to save you from the, the, the problems of the world and the struggles that the world has and work in your life to do something new. 
Work has a purpose. Whether you eat or therefore, or, or whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you, therefore you do, do all to the glory of God. The purpose changes. And if I played basketball this week, I already had uh, Gabe press. He, he was to uh, challenge me again. He, I beat him when I was preaching revival at your church. I'm going to beat you again, Gabe. Where are you? There, yeah, right there. Yeah, you know it. I'm going to beat you to the glory of God. That's what I'm going to do. Changes the purpose, right? Well, whether we sing or whether we eat or whatever we're doing, we, it, it changes life. And don't you see these sports stars? They make $150 million in a year, or, you know, in a contract, and they want to hold out. I love sports. Le'Veon Bell. You know that guy lost, like, over $40 million because he wanted more money? How much sense does that make? My life has purpose. Church is not the same to me. I know some of you think we go in a service, we sing a song, and we stand up, and we pray, and we sit down, and we sing another song, and they pass the plate, and the preacher preaches, and he gives an altar call, and they say amen, and we go home. Oh, with God, that's not how church is. I don't know what service God will show up in a special way, but I just love to keep going again and again because you never know when he's going to do it. For me, one of those services was in June of 1984. I know it was a long time ago. But I was just sitting in that service, minding my own business. There was a preacher preaching. His name was Don Short. Nobody in here knows who Don Short was. He was a great evangelist, in my opinion. Don Short wasn't so short. He was six foot six. He gave me one of the best lines I've ever heard. I remember as a little kid, people would come up to him and ask him if he, he says he's so tall, they would ask him if he played basketball. And I guess what did you ask tall people? Did you play basketball? And I guess being six foot six tall, and he, he probably got tired of hearing that, I remember they'd say, did, Mr. Short, did you play basketball? And he'd look at him and go, do you play miniature golf? <laughs> I thought he was the coolest guy. It was just another ordinary church service. Oh, no, it wasn't. That night, the Holy Spirit convicted my heart, and I realized I needed to be saved. I, I wanted to go to heaven. I wanted to know. My sins were forgiven, and that night I got saved. Can I, can I tell you a little secret? Since that time, I couldn't tell you there was just one service, just, just one service where, man, I surrendered to preach, and there was one service where I just got rid of this sin, and once, no, but when I came in with a perspective with God, he just, he just kept chiseling away and just kept doing something, doing something different, doing something different. He wants to do that again tonight. Because life with God has purpose. Man is always wanting something new, but he can't provide anything new because he's the creature, he's not the creator. You know that fashion is just old fashions modified? Just a couple of months ago, I preached this sermon in our Christian school, and I, I noticed, I, I, I found this that, and I don't know if it's still the trend because they change so fast. You know how Google's saying things are trending there was a trend that was up 730% on search engines, according to USA Today, for dad sneakers. And this made me laugh. Because they were, what it was was, and some of you might be wearing dad sneakers. Do you know what dad sneakers are? I mean, I don't even really know what dad sneakers are. I mean, I'm a middle-aged dad. I've got five kids, you know, and... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a middle-aged dad. I love to embarrass my kids just the same. You know, it's, it's kind of fun, actually. Like, and, and, and I guess dads just, you know, wear those old man tennis shoes. 
And so 730%, it increased. What you had is you had a bunch of fashionistas, some young ladies, wearing nice dresses with dad sneakers. Like this was a thing. So what you're telling me is my dad who still wears a 1982 mustache and still wears those shoes is now 45 years later? Cool! You know what this said to me as a preacher? Save your ties. Because in the 50s, the little skinny ones were cool. Just wait. In the 70s, the big fat ones were cool. Just wait. I mean, it just... Where, I mean, you ever seen those guys at times super short and the ones at times... Just wait. It all comes back around. Nothing's ever new. Maybe that's why my grandma saved her decorations. I don't know. <laughs> I'll tell you, life with God, it's fresh, it's new, it's different. I want to point out a couple of things. I know I need to get done, but I've enjoyed preaching to you. You've listened well for this first night. A couple of thoughts here. We need to be worshipers. It's been emphasized in the music you've heard tonight. We need to be worshipers. Worship brings, brings me being aware of God in my life. We've sung tonight about his creation and him being a creator. And, and, and you, you know, I mean, think about it. Every breath I take and every time my heart ticks, it's a miracle of God. And, man, I just ought to worship him and adore him, not just for what he does, but for who he is. Because he, he, with life with him makes purpose. We need to be students not just worshipers, we need to be students. I, I'm sure this week in the program, there's going to be scripture memory. I, I loved that when I went to camp. Scripture memory. Getting it in my mind. You said, do you remember every verse you ever memorized? I wish. But it never hurt stuffing it in there. The Bible says, study to show thyself approved. You, you, we need to be students. Do you know all of our lives, really, is about, about discovery? Have you ever been around a baby? You ever seen how excited a baby gets when it discovers it has a foot? <laughs> and they stick it in their mouth. I mean, they're, just, they're, ex they're excited about discovery. Hey, let's make our life a lifelong habit of studying God and learning of Him. Now you stick with me. Ultimately, Solomon's going to come back to the conclusion that life with God has purpose. And I'm telling you tonight, let's learn from somebody else's mistakes. Let's listen to it. All right, now listen to me. I'm done preaching. Thank you for listening. You did great on the first night. Whenever I preach, I like to ask questions at the end. This isn't the time to close your Bible and zip it up and start checking out on me. This is the time to really, like, come back. I want to ask you some questions. I want to challenge you. That's the difference between preaching and teaching. Teaching is just giving you a bunch of information. I could give you facts about Ecclesiastes, but I want to give you some information and some teaching about the book and then say, here's what you need to do about it. Okay, so I asked you from the get-go, make some decisions, and don't wait till Wednesday, do it tonight. Here's my first question. Do you need to be saved? Because if you don't have Jesus Christ in your life as your Savior, what purpose is your life? So what do you mean, being saved? What's that mean? It means you're saved from sin, you're saved from hell, you're going to heaven when you die. And I like to ask this question. It's a simple question. If you die today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? I'm sure there's somebody sitting here saying, nope. Then you need to get saved. There might be somebody sitting here tonight and saying, well, I hope so. I think so. No, you need to know so. And you can. So I'm going to ask you in just a moment, if the Holy Spirit's working in your heart and you don't know that you're going to heaven, 
I want you to have some purpose in your life. Jesus came to die to, uh, to save you. He came to change you. He came to be your Savior, be your God. I'm going to give you an opportunity to trust him. That's all it is. And somebody will take the Bible and privately show you, give you an opportunity to choose whether you're going to be saved or not. Now, some of you might be saved and you know you're on your way to heaven. Let me ask you some questions. Do you struggle with depression? Do you find yourself asking, what's the point? I think tonight you need to get a heavenly perspective. Are you actively seeking the will of God? Are you learning to worship God and learn from God? Does your life have purpose and fulfillment? What I think those of you that are already saved ought to do tonight I'd like to see as many of you will. Let's start the week off making an altar out of your chair, making an altar out here and say, God, I want to live a life of purpose. I know I cannot do that independently of you. This week, I want to be very in tune with you. I don't want to look at my life from my side of things. I want to see my life from your side of things. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Southland Podcast. May the message you've just heard be truth that transforms your heart and life. Christ loves you and wants you to grow in His grace through salvation and sanctification. If you've never placed your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ, we'd love to talk to you personally. Please give us a call at 318-894-9154 or shoot me an email at mherpster at southlandcamp.org. Christ has promised eternal life and a life worth living if you will only believe in Him. May the Lord bless you in your pursuit of Christ-like living. Tune in next time right here for another message on the Southland Podcast.